morning, everybody. It's great to see you. And can I add my welcome to Harry's? Uh, if you are here for your first time, it is uh, uh, brilliant to have you with us. And we really hope that you feel at home uh, and that very much feel part of what we're doing here. And if you want more information, do shout. Uh, we're going to turn to the Bible now, so if you've got them, uh, feel free to open them. If not, don't worry, the words will come up on the screen. Uh, uh, and we're going to read two passages, one from the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, uh, and then one from later on uh, in the book of Colossians. So let me read Genesis chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the earth. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They'll be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that's got life, the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he'd made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Then we're going to turn to the book of Colossians. Uh, I'm going to read a few verses from Colossians chapter 3. Starting at verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eyes on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what's right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. May God speak to us as we look at his word. I wonder, does anyone recognize this man? Just put your hands up if you recognize this man. Uh, it's interesting, if you're a certain age, you'll recognize. This is, of course, Eric Liddell, played by Ian Charlson in the 80s Oscar winner, Chariots of Fire. All about an athlete who chose Jesus over his dream. An athlete who was expected to win the 100 meters, but because of the 100 meter heat being on a Sunday, he refused to enter the heats, thereby abandoning any hope of Olympic gold in the 100 meters. He went on, of course, to run in the 400 and was victorious and the story goes on. But it's a story all about one man's dedication to his faith, dedication to Jesus, over everything. And in it, there's this famous, famous quote. You may have heard it. I believe God made me for a purpose, 
but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now, I'm sorry to break it to you. Eric Little never actually said those words. They're the words of a scriptwriter, but powerful though they are, they sum up in many respects the series that we're in at the moment. Monday means there was a man, Eric Little, dedicated to Jesus and wanting that faith in Jesus to impact every area of his life, not just on a Sunday when he gathered in church, but on a Monday, on a Tuesday, every area of his life, even if it meant going against his great dreams. And the same is true for all of us, whether we are an Olympic athlete or whether we are a couch potato, what does our faith look like on a Monday? Here we are in church, gathered together. But what does it look like when we scatter? And if you're new to church and you've started coming along, you're exploring who this Jesus is, what does this look like? What might this look like in your life throughout the rest of the week rather than just on a Sunday? And today, we're focusing on the whole issue of work as worship. And if we get this right, if we get our understanding on this right, your Monday morning will never be the same again. I can guarantee it. So listen in as we get stuck in. And along with Eric Little, whatever we spend our time doing during the week, whether it is paid work or not, when we do it, we will see that it can and does give God great pleasure. Work is worship. And as we jump into this, uh, I want to read some verses that move on after the reading we left in Genesis, which frame something really important for us. You see, God has made the world. We've just read about it. He's made this amazing place. He's made us in all our beauty and kind of complexity. And he said, we read it, it was very good. And then we read these words. Now, no shrub uh, had yet appeared on the earth, no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. And then in verse 15, we read these words. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Key word there, work. Now, as we move forwards in the Old Testament, we get to the book of Psalms, which is like the kind of the, the hymn book, if you like. And we read a famous psalm, Psalm 100, all about worship. Songs are written based on this psalm. And we read, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs, what we've been singing this morning. And can I tell you, those two words, work and worship, are the same word in Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament. Work is worship. So saying work is worship or work as worship doesn't mean that tomorrow morning as you get on the bus, you've got to be belting out songs to Jesus because that's what worship is. No, work is worship. And if we grasp that, everything is different. The way you wake up tomorrow morning will be very different. And we see that clearly, not just by cleverly analyzing the words and saying, wow, that's interesting, didn't know that about Hebrew. But look again at what God asks the people to do. Do you see what he asks them to do? He asks them to work the ground. Now think about this. He's already made it, and we have already know it's very good. 
God's made this perfect world. This is before we mess all up. And he gives humans a task to improve on it. Just like a gardener who's created this amazing garden, then the gardener still needs to work the garden to make it flourish. God does it, he did the act of creating, and then he gives humans the task to do the same thing. Which is why he tells them to go and make babies, procreate, be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because he created humans and therefore our task, we have a get in on the act of creating humans. The same is true of looking after the planet. God made it in such an amazing way, we have a task to then make it flourish. And the same is, of course, true of humans. The people that are around us, God made us to flourish. He gave us the perfect world. And therefore, our task, because we're made in God's image, is to also make humans flourish. Which, if we frame it like that, it gives us a completely different idea of work. Work is not just paid work. Whether you're here and you're employed and you're going to go to work tomorrow morning and clock in and see your boss doesn't make any difference whether you do that or not, you're a worker. All that we do in helping this world to flourish, the humans around us to flourish, that's what God did, that's what work is. And so I wanna say there's three ways that this will affect everything this week for us. Three uh, ways to worship, and the first is this, it changes, this changes our attitude to work. Because we realize that work is God-given. God has given this work to us. Do you notice this is before we messed it all up. This was part of God's good plan, not plan B. And I think our society really struggles with that. Let me read to you from Time magazine, an article all about work in which the author thinks that he is describing the Bible's view on work. Let me read it to you. When God foreclosed on Eden, he condemned Adam and Eve to go to work. From the beginning, the Lord's word said that work was something bad, a punishment. The great stone of mortality and toil laid upon a human spirit that might otherwise soar on the infinite weightless playfulness of grace. Now, I guess that most of us getting up tomorrow morning would long that we could have a week that was infinite weightless playfulness. But I think our society has the view that work is bad. Work is a necessary evil to earn enough money to get us to the weekend or to get us to the holiday or to be able to provide for us when we've stopped, quotes, working. Eugene Peterson says this, the devil does some of his best work when he gets Christians to think of themselves as Christian lay people. You see, already mentioned, we see these words. God created, he made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, just sidestep for a moment. This verse, and dare I say it, these opening chapters of Genesis are some of the profound, most profound chapters in the Bible and all of literature we would do well to really reflect on what they mean today. This verse alone has shed loads to say about current conversations, 
about meanings of gender and value and dignity of people and what it means to be human. Reflect on these. But regardless of that, do you see God made? God created humans in his image, which therefore means that we work just like God does, male and female together. It's a God-given thing to work, and it is God-like. When you go to work tomorrow morning on the, bo- on the bus, you are doing what God does. Chin up. You're, you're in the business of God. Amazing. You have a high calling. At the last few weeks, you'll have seen children uh, getting ready, ready to start school for the first time, certainly in my household. Uh, and Noah, our son, got his new uniform and that sort of slightly ill-fitting but looking very sharp. And what was fascinating, when he puts it on, something rises in him. He's a big boy now. Why? Because he realizes he's joining a different world now. There's something higher in what he's doing. And the same is true for us. Whether we're in paid work or not, we're doing what God does. That's a high calling. To make the world around us flourish is such an amazing calling. And so because of that, work is not only God-given, it is not about us. Which again, I think, is a massive difference to our view of work. Let me, let me read a quote from Tim Keller about our view of work. Our generation insists that work be fulfilling and fruitful, that it fully fit our talents and dreams and that we be paid exorbitantly for it. We think that work is about us and so if a, work doesn't meet, a job doesn't meet my needs, well then I've got to find something else. So I seek a promotion because it pays me more. Or, or I seek a, a job where I'm valued a little bit more because it's all about me. Now hear me right, I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong to get a promotion or to do that, but if it's all about me, that's very different from the way God describes work. It is God-given, it is God-like, and therefore it is not about us. I remember in a previous job, uh, I... Uh, I was basically what I used to do. I used to almost every day. I used to wait till my boss was going home and look very busy so that she saw me working hard as she left the building. The moment I you know, gave it a minute or two after she'd left the room and then I packed up, went off. Because it was all about me. I wanted to look good for her. It wasn't about the work. It was about me. And as long as she thought I was diligent, that was fine. Whether or not I was diligent. Whether or not I'd been playing solitaire for the last hour. And then, of course, what happened when I got to a position where I was then in management over somebody else. Well, of course, I then wanted to look diligent to them. And so, therefore, I made sure that I outstayed them just enough. So they thought, wow, what a hardworking boss. It was all about me, rather than about thinking, how does this make the people around me flourish? How does this make the world flourish, the task that God's given us to do? Can I say, this is an immensely liberating truth for all of us, whether in paid work or not. If you're a shop worker, the things that you do help sustain and feed humans. That's exactly what God does. If you're in the fashion industry, what you're doing is helping people to beautify themselves, to make them look amazing. That's what God does. 
If you're in the entertainment industry doing work that helps inspire, educate, and challenge to help people flourish, that's what God does. If you're in the finance industry, you're doing something that helps people better their environment, helping them to flourish, that's what God does. If you're in the health work industry, you're helping humans to flourish, what God does. If you're in the education industry, what you're doing is helping people to flourish, that's what God does. If you're in the building industry, you're doing a creative deed, just like God, that's what God does. And on and on and on, and of course it's not just paid work. If you're a parent, what are you doing? You are helping the, pet, the children that God has entrusted to you to flourish. That's what God does. If you're a carer, if you just have friends that you're helping people to just be around. So it changes massively our attitude to work. Secondly, if we have our view that work is worship, it also changes our attitude at work. And this is where we turn to our second reading from the book of Colossians. You see, in those days, they had a system of slavery. Now, can I just pause for a moment? When we think of slavery, we often have a view in our mind that is sort of very much like 12 years a slave, that it was a brutal system of mass oppression. Now, hear me right. In the ancient world, that was the case in some circumstances, definitely. However, in a system where there was no welfare whatsoever, for some people, and dare I say for many people, being a slave meant that you and your family were provided for. You were cared for in such a way that you would not be. So it's not exactly the same as employment and it's perhaps not exactly always the same as kind of the, the oppressive slavery that we have so rightly reacted against. And so when we read these words, we need to hear it in that context. When Paul says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eyes on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart, reverence for the Lord. And just in the same way, masters, provide your slaves with what's right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Do you see that? If we have work as worship, we are no longer working for ourselves. So whether we're in employment, we are an employer, we are an employee, our boss ultimately is not our boss. Our boss is Jesus. So therefore, if you have a boss who looks like this, can I encourage you, he is not your boss. He's not your ultimate boss. If you are in a situation where you know work is horrible, Sunday nights are the bane of your life because you know once again you've got to gear up for what is going to be a hard, exhausting, burdensome week. Remember, Jesus is your boss. Be encouraged. He sees your attitude, your heart. He sees the treatment of you even when that treatment is by your boss. Take heart. And so therefore, when we realize that Jesus is our boss, 
in reality, of course, that then changes how we work. It doesn't then mean we can't do what our earthly box asks of us, because of course we serve him and therefore it's right and fair to do that after we're employed for it. Uh, but also, let me give you another example. Don't know if you know who this guy is. Uh, this guy is Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a monk in the uh, 15th, 15th, 16th century, 1500s. And he wrote a famous book, The Practice of the Presence of God. And in this, he tells all about how he went to a monastery to do what he thought were the higher things, the really important things, learning and studying the Bible, teaching the Bible, the, you know, the important thing. He was going to do an important, worthwhile job. And as he got to the monastery, they put him in the kitchen. And for a while, he stayed there thinking, okay, I've got to prove myself for a week or two. And then they left him there for a long, 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 long time and he dealt with his frustration and in this book he writes this. He realizes that he needed to learn to quote, pick up a straw for the glory of God. If work is worship, it is not about us and our fulfillment, our kind of feeling of satisfaction about it. Everything we do can be about him, even picking up a straw. Which I think means if you're a parent and frankly you're tired of dirty nappies, be encouraged. You're helping that human to flourish. If you're in a job that is just humdrum and yet again you've got to type out a spreadsheet, next line, spreadsheet, next line, you're helping along the line God's world to flourish. You serve Christ. If you're in a situation of retirement and you think your work life is behind you, be encouraged, God has a task for you now that is every bit as valuable, every bit as important as the job you left behind to help this world and the people around you flourish. So your attitude at work changes and because of that, can I say, things like Alpha are brilliant. Because we have our view that, hang on, this workplace or, or, or this family or this friendship group that I'm in, this is not just about me and meeting my needs. I have the opportunity to serve Christ there. So can I encourage you? Who is the one person in your workplace, whether that's paid or not, that maybe, just maybe, you might like to pass this to, to help them flourish? Maybe it will literally mean taking this tomorrow morning and just leaving it on your desk in a visible place so that maybe, just maybe, someone this week will say, what's that? So that you might say, actually, let me tell you. Why? Because it's about helping them flourish. It changes our attitude to work. It changes our attitude at work. And finally, as I come to a close, the truth is, for some of us, you may be sat here and thinking, brilliant, Tim, but you don't know my workplace. It is horrific. As I was researching this and studying, uh, I saw, read a blog article and where there was this comment. You may not be able to read it. Let me read it to you. My work is inherently boring. So much so, I feel my soul crushed, weighed down under the monotony of it all. I doubt you can help me see things differently, but I look forward to reading. It may be that there is someone here who feels like that. 
It may be that there is a parent here who for you, that is your work at the moment. And to be honest, it feels like that. You may dare never admit it. It may be that there's some here who are retired and if you're honest, you feel your identity's gone because you're no longer in an official workplace and you feel like that. Well, I think viewing work as worship helps us therefore in our attitude to difficult work. Because the truth is those early passages in Genesis may sound wonderful, but you might be shouting out, Tim, that's not the world we live in where it's all rosy and all fantastic. Don't you know they messed it up? Don't you know there was the fall? And you'd be absolutely right. As we read these words, when humanity turned our back on God and said, no, we want to be God now. And we read these words, the result of that. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Do you see that? Now work is hard, it's painful. Not only that, it's futile. Thorns and thistles grow up. And not only that, it's essential. We have to do it to eat. And I think you may call this a bit perverse, but I think it's really helpful to know that. It's really helpful when we're in difficult to work, re- work to realize that you are not alone. This is not a unique thing to you. You are not the only human ever who has faced painful, futile, essential work that you'd rather be doing anything else, but you've got to do it. I dare to say, even speaking to a retired person here, many of them would say, the moment I retired, I got far busier. Work doesn't stop. It's with us every day of our life. And I think viewing it as worship changes that. But I want to end with something massively encouragement. Encouraging. Because this bit, this moment of the fall where it all went wrong and we now endure decades of hard work, we realize that just as work was before the fall, work will outlast the fall. There will be a day where we realize the impact of our work. There will be a day where the humans that we have helped to flourish will thank us. There will be a day where we will see the impact of our hard work all those years. Because of Jesus who stood there once on a cross, died his death and said it is finished, his work was done but didn't stay hung on that cross. Three days later, shattered our worst enemy so that that work that was finished was not futile, but would have an eternal impact. And the same, dare I say it, is true of our work. If we're in the business of God's business, working, helping this planet to flourish, helping the people around us to flourish, Maybe, just maybe, one day we will see the impact of that. And as I close, let me read some words that highlight this from the book of Isaiah. You may find it helpful to close your eyes, to remind us that one day, one day, 
we will see the fruit of our hard work. Isaiah writes this, see, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Let's pray together. In the stillness, it may be that this morning God has reminded you of the value of what you're doing. And simply as we pray, you may like to in your own heart ask him to keep on reminding of you that. So tomorrow morning you wake up with your chin lifted high. Or maybe for some of us, we've had a sense of hope in what is painful. And in the stillness you may like to ask God to help you with that to remind you day in, day out that you're not alone and that one day, one day Father, we are a frail people there's so much we struggle with and yet Lord you see our frail and weak efforts You see where we get it wrong in our workplace. You see where we get it wrong as parents. You see where we get it wrong as friends. And yet, Lord, we thank you that you're God of great grace who sees our feeble efforts to be workers, to be worshippers. And Lord, may we see the fruit of helping those around us truly flourish. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.